Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Today is Tuesday, March 29, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, right here on the Black Star Network, with the stroke of a pen, President Joe Biden signs the Emmett Till anti-lynching law 
making lynching a federal hate crime for the first time. That's been taking a hundred years in trying to make this happen. In our Education Matters segment, the United Negro College Fund, they are getting uh, $10 million from Mike Bloomberg uh, to launch public charter schools on HBCU campuses. We'll talk with the UNCF about that. We always talk about voting on this show, and one of the most voter-suppressive states is the state of North Carolina. In a split decision, a three-judge panel rules that felons can vote in North Carolina once they leave prison, well, former felons. We'll discuss this groundbreaking decision uh, with a North Carolina lawmaker, a voting rights reporter, and an attorney who is on the front lines as a defender of voting rights. Louisiana Supreme Court says that uh, Black Lives Matter activist Ray McKesson can be sued by a police officer who was injured during a 2016 protest. He'll join us to talk about that court decision. Trenton, New Jersey Police Department, they released body camera video of the shooting that left Jaquan Henderson paralyzed from the chest down. And yes, it's as awful as his attorney described for us last week. A Florida hotel employee gets attacked by a guest. He defends himself and he ends up arrested without a job. Really? In today's Marketplace segment, uh, I was cracking on my man Joe Torrey, the comedian, about some shoes he was wearing. Well, the shoes by a black-owned shoe designer company. Joe and I always having fun with each other, so we're going to talk with that shoe design company right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Yes, we'll be talking with the creator of Rock Deep. And yes, the fallout continues when it comes to Will Smith and Chris Rock. We're going to give you the latest on that as well. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks, North Carolina ex-felons can vote in state and local elections as a result of a three-judge panel ruling the law prohibiting them from voting was unconstitutional and discriminated against black voters. This law would restore the voting rights of thousands of North Carolinians. Sam Levine, a reporter for The Guardian, joins us from New York. North Carolina State Representative Amber Baker joins us from Winston-Salem and Mitchell Brown, counsel for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, joins us now from D.C. Glad to have all three of you here. Samuel, was your tweet that I saw with regards to this particular story. Out of all the states that we have been covering over the last, I dare say, the last decade, dealing with voter suppression, there has been no state that has been more heinous than North Carolina, where Republicans have been doing all they can to suppress voting rights because they are still pissed that then-Senator Barack Obama won North Carolina by 14,100 votes in 2008, and they have been making it clear they do not want to see that happen again. 
Sam? Yeah, well, this is a hugely consequential ruling in North Carolina. It's estimated that it will affect up to 56,000 people who are convicted of a felony but who are on probation or parole. And that's just a staggering number. Um, and what's so striking about this law is that it very explicitly has racist roots. It's very clearly a law that was designed in the late 19th century as a way of disenfranchising black people in North Carolina after the passage of the 15th Amendment, it, which said, you know, you can't explicitly disenfranchise someone based on their race. So you started to see Southern states passing laws that disenfranchised people if they were convicted of crimes and the crimes that were, people were being convicted of were designed so that they would catch up black people in them. So this is a law clearly with a very racist legacy that today, here we are in 2022, is being struck down, and it will have very significant effects in North Carolina. Um, the thing that I think is really uh, huge here when you talk about this here, uh, Mitchell, uh, is I think about Louisiana. Three years ago, law struck down. They provided voting rights to formerly incarcerated 36,000 people impacted. What happened in the election in 2020? Uh, Governor Bill Edwards, Democrat, was re-elected. He won by 30,000 votes. Not saying that was a difference, but the bottom line is this here. He got a whole bunch of black votes that put him back in office. And so when we talk about the margins, we talk about close elections. Sherry Beasley in North Carolina lost by 400 votes to be the Supreme, uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. She's now running for the United States Senate. This is why this matters, because this decision could determine future elections. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, as you said, Sherry Beasley lost by 400 votes in the last election. Um, and if this law, which allows, you know, folks who are formerly incarcerated, who may have a felony record, to vote, that's 56,000 votes. Uh, I remember during the canvas process last, uh, two years ago, uh, when Sherry Beasley was running, uh, that there was an issue with uh, counting all the votes. Well, now we're able to count all the votes, and we're now we're able to uh, make sure that people um, have the ability to let their voices be heard, and that has an impact on how uh, the Supreme Court rules um, in, in North Carolina and what laws are passed and what laws are upheld as constitutional or not. Um, and all that has an effect on how we live our daily lives in North Carolina. Um, Representative... Uh, Amber, uh, first and foremost, uh, let's just be real clear, Representative Amber Baker, um, you know what it's like dealing with Republicans in the North Carolina legislature. Uh, j just give folks uh, an understanding of the hell y'all have had to deal with uh, over the last uh, decade, more than a decade, of Republicans doing everything they can to screw over black voters and other voters in North Carolina. Yeah, so, you know, Roland, the last time I was here, we were talking about maps, and we were talking about how they have historically uh, used those uh, tools that are given to them for uh, to disenfranchise voters, and now we are waiting to see if they're going to appeal this decision. You know, as a first-term legislator, uh, I've stood on that floor, and um, they're mean. They're mean-spirited. Um, they they 
they do what they do all in the name of Christianity and um, they talk down to us as if we are stupid um, and they do not really respond well when you come in and you're articulate and you're well read and you're prepared for a debate on bills oftentimes that they don't even write so they don't know what's in the bills and so um, you have skilled uh, individuals that serve on the Democratic side. You have retired judges. Um, you have educators like myself. Um, and, and we are never, ever consulted on issues that are relevant to the bills that they are passed. So um, they are. They are they are running scared. And again, uh, we won a decision um, very narrowly. But again, I say, if you don't think that voting has consequences, uh, this is another instance where it is clear if we don't vote and vote all the way down the ballot, um, this could have had a very different outcome. Uh, Sam, um, what people also have to understand is that Republicans have used North Carolina as the laboratory for voter suppression. So when the actions are taken there, all of a sudden we see them pop up, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, other states as well. But what we have seen to the point um, Representative Baker just stated, because of the power of voting, because of Moral Monday, because, uh, frankly, uh, Reverend Barber, the NAACP, causing white folks in, in North Carolina to wake up, you see them clawing back. So the reasons Democrats now have a 4-3 majority on the state Supreme Court, and the state Supreme Court has been ruling against them. You've had the federal courts who said it was a laser-like targeting of black voters that peeled back uh, uh, the voter ID law. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And so we've seen a very smart electoral strategy in North Carolina and a uh, legal strategy that has been able to fight back these, uh, the efforts of these Republicans in North Carolina. Yeah, I think this case is part of what we've seen over the last few years, which is a concerted effort to use state courts and state constitutions to protect the right to vote. It's been used uh, quite extensively in litigation over gerrymandering in North Carolina and elsewhere. Um, but in this case, we're seeing uh, plaintiffs in this case relying on uh, the free elections clause in, in the North Carolina Constitution, the equal protection clause in the North Carolina Constitution, and really a recognition that state courts can play a critical uh, safeguard in, in around voting rules. And I think it also highlights, as you were mentioning, Roland, the importance in voting in elections for local judges and for the state Supreme Court. I think it's, it's more than likely that this is a case that will ultimately be decided by the North Carolina Supreme Court, where Democrats currently have a majority. You mentioned that there was a race uh, two years ago that was decided by just a couple hundred votes. And these are not elections that people typically pay attention to. They don't get the attention of a congressional race or a presidential race or a gubernatorial race. But they're really races at the end of the day that really, really wind up having a profound impact on voting rights and American democracy. Um, the legal strategy that I talked about uh, there, Mitchell, really is important uh, because and I remember having a conversation with Reverend Barber about this. Um, when they were fighting the gerrymandering issue, he and others 
told the white lawyers there, don't try to make this about political gerrymandering. Make it about racial gerrymandering. What ended up happening? John Roberts led Supreme Court, said the case that came out of Wisconsin, oh, we don't have any authority when it comes to political gerrymandering. And so what happened in the state there in North Carolina, it was overturned because of racial gerrymandering. This is also an example of how you properly listen, you use race when it's there, and you listen to black people and black lawyers to understand how to fight these efforts. And so in this case here, for them to say it specifically uh, impacted African Americans, that's a huge part of this ruling. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of this ruling. Um, and and uh, Roland, you brought up a really important point um, that you know, it's all about race. Um, at the end of the day, North Carolina has a robust history of voter suppression, um, and all of these voter suppression laws come together to impact us one way or the other. You look at, uh, the, the court talked about the election of judges locally uh, in, in the late 1800s, um, and how they took away local control from, from, the, from the counties, but then said, hey, if you want to be reenfranchised, you have to go before the judge. And who picks the judge? The legislature. That had did not have the the best interest of black voters uh, uh, in mind, and if you fast forward to today, uh, you know this is a great ruling and it opened up the floodgates of voting. Uh, but they said we're either going to bar you from voting, but even if you can vote, we're still going to put things in your way in order to prevent you from voting. Whether that be voter ID laws um, that were struck down by both the federal court and the state court, uh, or redistricting and making sure your uh, your vote is not weighted. Uh, as much as others. You know, uh, Roland, you, you and I's fraternity has a statement that says a voteless people is a hopeless people. And I think this ruling and what we've seen from the court is a lot of hope is being given back to people because they have the right to let their voices be heard. Uh, absolutely. Representative Baker, um, what do you need from those who are watching and listening moving forward? Because there still are lots of efforts there. The Republicans are throwing up uh, to stop uh, folks from being able to vote in uh, the midterms in uh, that happening uh, in 2022, but also looking towards 2024. So what I've been doing as I am out amongst the people, which is what I did before I ran for office, is I'm telling people now um, to check your status, check your voting status, um, and make sure that um, if you're registered to vote, that your that your registration is still active. Um, so that you can do it now. We're just a little over 30 days before early voting um, starts. And I hope that today, of those 56,000 voters that are, are now eligible to vote, that they went and got registered today. And so we've got to do that. And then I'm also saying that you need to do your research, right? If, if judges weren't important, why do you think they put them at the bottom of the ballot? So you got you got to vote all the way down the ballot, and you have to know who you're voting for. And additionally, you need to be able to support the candidates that are running. Um, this is not a plug for any particular political candidate, but it takes money to run. And here in North Carolina, we are considered part-time legislators. And that is also a gatekeeping mechanism, because most people cannot afford to only serve in the legislature without some type of uh, other income coming in. And so um, support the people that are running. Know who's running and, and check your registration status often. And you got two votes. 
you have to vote um, in early vote starting April 28th, and then you're going to need to vote again during the general election. So um, if you know somebody, take somebody, you know, and, and we, we are going to have to coalesce around each other concerning making sure that we have a voting plan and we're loading our cars up and we're taking people to vote and and those young people who know how to do everything on their phones you know start talking to other people and helping them check their registration status and helping them to get registered and also here in North Carolina you know we have one stop voting and registration so during early voting you may also register to vote my hope would be that you would register beforehand but if you don't you have an opportunity to register to vote and vote on the same day during early voting. Uh, Sam, um, last question for you and uh, Mitchell. I'll go to you first, Sam. What other states are you looking at that, that we need to be paying close attention to when it comes to uh, these issues of voter suppression? Well, looking across the country, I mean, it's really a mess when it comes to um, laws around felon disenfranchisement, like the one that was challenged in, in North Carolina. Tennessee has an enormously complex system that people with felonies have to go through to get their voting rights back. They have to submit a certificate that they have to get filled out by the Board of Probation um, and the clerk and have to go through a very complex process. So that's another state that I have my eye on. Um, but more broadly, I think, you know, it's states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, all states that we've seen in the last year or so really pass new voting restrictions that seem backed by lies about the 2020 election, baseless claims of fraud, making it harder to cast a ballot by mail, uh, creating uh, law enforcement agencies that are empowered to investigate voting matters when there's really, really scant evidence of fraud. Uh, Arizona, another state that that appears to be on the cusp of doing things like cracking down on mail-in voting or pro providing proof of citizenship um, in voting. And so those are all the states that I'm, I'm paying attention to right now. Mitchell? Yep. And and I'll uplift the similar states to Sam's states, uh, but focusing on Tennessee and Texas. Um, in, in Tennessee, you had the case of Pamela Moses, um, who, you know, uh, was convicted of a felony had been released um, from incarceration, was living in the community, um, and thought she could vote. Um, and asked, he actually asked the state board, hey, can I vote? And they said yes. Um, and then they tried to charge her with voting while she's ineligible. Um, and then also in Texas, you have the case of Crystal Mason and Hervis Rogers, uh, who voted uh, while they were ineligible. They thought they were uh, able to be able to vote. Um, and the state of Texas you know, tried, uh, gave Crystal Mason five years as up on appeal. Um, and they just charged Herbis Rogers, uh, who waited in line. Uh, it was the last person in line uh, on national television to vote um, in the, I believe it's the 2018 election, I believe. Um, and they, four years later, are now prosecuting him for voting while he's ineligible because he was still on probation. So uh, Texas and Tennessee are two states that we have our eyes on. All right. Uh, folks, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, and we're going to continue to uh, monitor what happens in North Carolina because it is certainly uh, a uh, bellwether state for these issues. Thank you. All right. Thanks a bunch.
pulling my panel right now, I'm going to stop with Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice at the EPA, Teresa Lundy. She's the principal founder of TML Communications. We'll be joined soon by Demario Solomon Simmons, civil rights attorney and founder of Justice for Greenwood. I don't know how many times I can say, Teresa, uh, vote, 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 vote. Don't sit your ass at home and vote because what we're seeing, now this was a federal case, these were federal judges, but what we are seeing is when you have these state Supreme Courts who are ruling, and we can't even assume that in some places we can, but you look at what happened in Ohio and Wisconsin, Republican-led courts rule against them in their gerrymandered maps. Uh, why does voting matter in this? Who appoints the federal judges? Well, Tom Tillis uh, and Richard Burr, Republicans in North Carolina, they blocked two black women who were appointed to the federal bench uh, who would have been overseeing cases in the North Carolina, in the, in the, in the North, state of North Carolina, when they were appointed by President Barack Obama. And then, of course, they confirmed the judges when they came under uh, Donald Trump. That's the thing. So when people say, oh, man, damn Biden, it doesn't matter who he picks as federal judges, rules in cases like this, because this was a three-panel federal judge, a three-judge three federal panel. Exactly why people need to pay attention to the entire process of um, the ju judicial choosing when it happens even at the Senate level. Um, you know, when we say voting does matter, it, it absolutely does, because if, uh, as we know, a lot of things come from the federal level, and then it trickles down to the state level when it comes to some of the decisions that are being made. So, you know, if we, you know, keep complaining about some of these things that, and, and maybe the system just doesn't work. Well, part of it is we, as individuals, something free that we can do is actually utilize our voice and utilize our resources and encourage the next person who we're dealing with other issues to actually go out and vote. This thing right here, um, Mustafa, uh, the legal battle is just so critical. Uh, so you can be out in the streets protesting, vital. You can be electing the right people to pass laws, vital but also the legal strategy of our civil rights organizations is also important. The legal strategy is what helps us to build, you know, the, the structure, the infrastructure that's so critical for us to be able to be able to participate in fair elections and, and make sure that our voices and that our votes actually count and that, you know, you have all this voter suppression that's going on. It's the, one of the only ways to deal with that. So we need to make sure that folks are both in the streets and the suites fighting strategizing and utilizing both the law, these legal cases, and a number of other tools to make sure that there's real justice in relationship to voting. Uh, indeed, indeed, folks. Let's go to Maryland, where Republican lawmakers apologizing for tweeting a profane response to a tweet from Maryland General Assembly's top leadership. Maryland Delegate Kathy Zelga said she meant to privately... <laughs> privately send this message to a close friend. Speaker Adrian Jones, on the tweet, says, see the joint statement with uh, Senator Bilford on Maryland's congressional map ruling. Well, Kathy decided to tweet, breaking, bitches, the court is not going to like to see that. The seven judges that get to see this and make a final decision will not like this press release. This, that is even better for us. Well, Senate President Bill Ferguson, now Speaker, Adrian Jones again, uh, like, really? Hmm. They released a statement expressing disappointment. 
in, uh, to a Maryland judge's decision to reject the map that as a product of extreme partisan gerrymandering, well, uh, uh, Zelliger, a plaintiff in the lawsuit, caught wind of the statement and shared this now-deleted tweet as a response. <laughs> oh, it's amazing when you hear. So y'all, here's go. Here's her apology. Quote, I sincerely apologize for a tweet I sent this morning meant as a private message to a close friend. It was immediately deleted and totally inappropriate. I'm truly sorry, Speaker Jones and Senator Bill Ferg. Mm, really? Really, Mustafa? When she was like, <laughs> bitches? You know, what's done in darkness will eventually become, you know, come out into the light. So she just, you know, she's just telling it like it is, uh, and she got caught. So, you know, the, the reality is we know there's a whole bunch of folks uh, who don't care about uh, what's going on in our communities, the struggles, the fights, uh, all the work that we put into trying to make positive change happen. And they often, you know, then they get caught. You know, there's all kinds of folks and all kinds of parties uh, who have worn some sheets in the past. And those sheets sometimes, even though they might not have those those hoods on anymore, the truth comes out in how they really feel. Uh, Teresa, at least she didn't say, like the white woman federal judge in Louisiana, that she took a pill to make it go racist. <laughs> Um, you know, Apple, it, look, she, it, the, the tweet probably could have been uh, to someone else. We, we don't know. Apple has been playing tricks and software updates. Um, but if that's her story, that's her story. I think, you know, the Oscars has definitely uh, given people a lot of courage to see what they can and cannot do and what their uh, precautions are. So um, hopefully she'll be a little bit more sensitive in the future. But, you know. It's exposed, though. So. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, all right, folks, we come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're going to show you today's signing of the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching uh, Act at the White House. Uh, and uh, before I do that, though, uh, uh, several people, a number of people have been writing. First of all, send us checks and money orders, of course, supporting the show. Uh, Jay Neely said, I'm just trying to contribute. Thank you for great information. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, also, uh, so while, actually, while I'm reading this here, folks, put the graphic where people can support uh, the show. If y'all want to support us in what we do by joining our Bring the Fan Club, uh, we, of course, revealed last night we're providing an internship uh, to the North Carolina A&T student uh, who lost the internship at the Black News Channel. There are three other students, as she told us, three other HBCU students uh, who got intern paid internships. I am trying to get their names uh, so we can also bring them aboard. So your contributions uh, make it possible for us to do this, to have paid internships uh, for uh, HBCU students. And so you can support us uh, by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. There's no minimum uh, limit. Uh, we ask 50 bucks each uh, from folks. That's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. Uh, and support us. Some people have given less, have given more. We appreciate every single dollar. But it's P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Uh, someone else wrote, leave the graphic up, please. Roland Martin staff, everyone that makes this program work, keep up the good work. Reporting the facts to the viewers, this is a donation. Also, in close is $30. I support your new uh, program. Keep up the good work. Uh, and I really uh, uh, keep up the good work. Uh, I really enjoy your news show. Uh, and so I can't make out the last name there, but I certainly appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to read one. I'm going to read two more before we go to a break. 
thank you, uh, Dr. Roland Martin, for being and giving a voice to us black people. Uh, take care, Miss Bernice Parrish. Here's my $5 towards my bill of $50. She said 50 minus 5, 45 due. So uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and then, uh, let's see here, Beverly Singleton, uh, um, let's see here, um, she said, just took a look at the date of, of this money order, July is moving towards that date again, she's, I'm trying to re-up for the cause, uh, and so, and this is, she said, you're shunning us folks that ain't with that cash app stuff. Uh, this was actually sent this on February 10th, but since then, uh, yes, Beverly, I did get the, uh, the P.O. box to hook y'all up. She says, so glad to be a member of the RMU and be able to share info with others who are unaware of many topics we discuss on this show, as well as the tributes you do in respect to our strong contributors and leaders for our black society. Can't wait to hear more on your trips to the motherland and so much more. Blessings to your staff and a panelist and also Reverend Jackie, prayers, safety, and love. Uh, Beverly Singleton uh, and so and then she did say uh, see I can be helpful in the midst of fussing uh, so y'all we do have that so if you don't want to give via cash app PayPal Venmo Zelle y'all can send us a check or money order P.O. Box 57196 Washington D.C. 20037 we'll be right back Did you ever want to do a soap opera? I did it before, Another World. I did it years ago uh -huh. with uh, Joe Morton, Morgan Freeman, called Another World. It's the funk now, but that's how I started in TV. You? My first job. You? My very first Joe, TV job. Joe Morton and Morgan Freeman were on a soap opera? Together. Yes, wow. I know. Oh, I loved it. I played a prostitute. I was real raw. My name was Lily Mason. I was, I was a hoe on Tuesday, and I owned the town two weeks later. <laughs> that's how they do you. Right, that's how soap you know, operas. You evolve, yeah. Right. So now I'm on this, but I'm rich right from Jump Street. <laughs> so I'm loving it. Funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> 
couple of hours ago, President Joe Biden signed into law the bill named after Emmett Till making a federal hate crime for lynching more than 100 years after the first attempt to pass such bill. The Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act is named after the black teenager from Chicago who's killing in his lynching in Mississippi in uh, 1955, August 28, 28, 1955, became a galvanizing moment uh, for America. During the Rose Garden signing ceremony, Vice President Kamala Harris explained how it took more than over 200 times to pass this bill. President Biden stressed how lynchings were used as intimidation to keep black people from voting. It was over 100 years ago in 1900, North Carolina Representative George Henry White, the son of a slave, the only black lawmaker in Congress at the time, who first introduced legislation to make lynching a federal crime. Hundreds, hundreds of similar bills have failed to pass. Over the years, several federal hate crime laws were enacted, including one I signed last year to combat COVID-19 hate crimes. But no federal law, no federal law expressly prohibited lynching, none, until today. One of the leading chronicles of our history of the lynching is Brian Stevenson, who happens to be a Delawarean from my home state, who wanted very much to be here today, but he could not. He helped build a national memorial for peace and justice in Montgomery, Alabama, America's first site dedicated to understanding the legacy of lynching. You know, his extensive research showed that between 1877 and 1950, more than 4,400 black people were murdered by lynching, most in the South, but some in the North as well. That's a lot of folks, man, and a lot of silence for a long time. Lynching was pure terror to enforce the lie that not everyone, not everyone belongs in America, not everyone is created equal. Terror to systematically undermine hard-fought hard civil rights. Terror, not just in the dark of the night, but in broad daylight. Innocent men, women, and children hung by nooses from trees. Bodies burned and drowned and castrated. Their crimes, trying to vote, trying to go to school, trying to own a business or preach the gospel. False accusations of murder, arson, and robbery. Simply being black. So lynching, well, it, we know it's a stain on the history of our nation. Since our founding, and in particular, in the century following the Civil War, thousands of people in states across our nation were tortured and murdered by vigilantes they were dragged from their homes. They had ropes wrapped around their necks. They were hanged, burned, drowned, and dismembered. Often, as the president said, as their families were forced to watch and as crowds gathered to spectate. These lynchings were motivated, of course, by racism and meant to cause terror. They were acts committed to secure political and social control. But they were not designated crimes by the federal government. Lynching was not considered a crime by the federal government. Legislation 
to make lynching a federal crime was first introduced in the United States Congress in the year 1900. It failed. In the 122 years since, anti-lynching legislation has been introduced to the United States Congress more than 200 times, advanced by leaders such as James Weldon Johnson of the NAACP, and of course, the phenomenal Ida B. Wells. Those who courageously knew what had to be done and were undeterred. And when we speak of Ida B. Wells, let's understand the courageous nature of that incredible American who used her skill, her profession, her calling as a journalist, as President Biden noted, to help open the eyes of our nation to the terror of lynching, which speaks, of course, to the role that we have known also historically, I'm going off script for a moment, about the importance of the black press and the importance of making sure that we have the storytellers always in our community who we will support to tell the truth when no one else is willing to tell it. Uh, folks, uh, of course, uh, this uh, is uh, an historical bill. The new law makes it possible to prosecute a crime as a lynching when a conspiracy to commit a hate crime leads to death or serious bodily injury. Uh, Demario, your thoughts uh, on this uh, law finally being, uh, being coming to fruition? Hey, Roland, good, good afternoon, good evening, good to see you and, and the panelists. Look, uh, they invoked my mentor, Brian Stevenson, and I know he's worked on uh, documented lynchings, and I know people have worked for over 100 years to get this done. I'm glad it happened, but I'll be frank and honest with you. We need voting rights. We need a jo jo George Floyd uh, Policing Act. We need executive orders dealing with qualified immunity, dealing with uh, reparations for the Tulsa race massacre. Hey, we're trying to get the, ju the, the judicial DOJ to investigate uh, the Tulsa race massacre. We've got three living survivors that I represent who have not received any form of justice, any one penny. So while this is, this is something to be celebrated, I don't have any issues with that, we just so much more that's impacting our lives on a daily basis, uh, millions and millions of our people each and every day that has not been dealt with. And that's what uh, has me a little muted uh, in this celebration today. Well, Mustafa, there are some who say, well, this is just a ceremonial bill when it's, and it's not. It's another arsenal. It's another piece uh, of weaponry that can be used by federal law enforcement when you have uh, hate crimes. Without a doubt. I mean, it's a critical, you know, I hope folks understand how important this is. Yes, it took, uh, you know, over 100 years to get it in place. But when prosecutors are trying to figure things out, they go into their toolbox. And this is another tool that folks will be able to have to bring people to justice, not just bring people to justice, but also to let folks know that if you are going to conduct this type of behavior, if you're going to take somebody's life, that there are going to be significant charges that are going to be a part of it. Now, one thing that we still have to continue to work on is the fact that we will see folks who we know were lynched, and sometimes there will be these other descriptors that they try to take their life or a number of other things. So I think that we still have work to do in that space to make sure that there's real justice. But I'm glad to see that we now have this additional tool to hold people accountable. Teresa? Uh, and also, yeah. Teresa, uh, who was there, uh, there were, uh, first of all, uh, uh, descendants of um, Emmett Till, as well as Ida B. Wells Barnett, of course, who was very well known 
for her anti-lynching writings. They were also present at today's uh, ceremony. Yeah, and symbolism matters, especially uh, in this case. Um, listen, I am very excited that it did happen. I'm, honestly, the timeline really doesn't matter to me because it is going to go into the next generation. Um, and so when, you know, some of these hate crimes are coming up, um, as Mustafa said, uh, prosecutors will be going into their arsenal to see what they actually can do. Um, so it is an exciting time. I'm glad, you know, um, Vice President Kamala Harris actually had the opportunity to co-sign this bill while she was in the Senate. Um, and now we see, you know, the results as her SVP bringing it across the finish line. Uh, absolutely. And look, we're, we're operating now uh, in a world where you have people who are trying their best uh, to deny what's really happening in this country. The uh, Legal Defense Fund, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, tweeted this video about a couple of minutes ago. Uh, well, they said after just two hours of debate, South Carolina legislators vote, voted to advance uh, a new anti-truth bill closer to becoming law. Uh, and one of the state representatives, Annie McDaniel, um, she uh, criticized them, uh, saying, uh, why is it that y'all are so quick uh, to pass this law? Listen to what she had to say. I, I, I would be very distrue to who I am if I didn't acknowledge the fact that we are advancing a bill regarding times in our history that might be taught that caused a lot of unrest regarding five bills, which turned into this one bill. And the bill is being advanced with a total racial split on this committee. All five African-American Democrats voted no. All 12 Caucasian Republicans voted yes. That sounds like we have taken ourselves so far back in history till it is totally unbelievable. When I think one of the requests was just for a little bit more time to talk about, digest, and most importantly, hear from teachers regarding this piece of legislation. Yes, no, it's not even legislation yet. Regarding this document that is going to be advanced as a committee bill. Now, my question is how do I remove my name as a sponsor of this bill because I care not to be a sponsor of this bill? Mm. This is what we're dealing with, Demario, all around the country where you have these Republicans, um, and I, I warn everybody when they were attacking critical race theory, they were not talking about critical race theory. They were talking about anything that dealt with race, equity, and inclusion. Absolutely. You know, this is, uh, this is happening all over the country. It's happening right here in Oklahoma. And these people feel that their existence is a, is a, is a threat and their power, more importantly, is under, under threat. And therefore, they want to restrict actual history the actual history of this country that they say they're so proud of. They say this is the greatest country in the world, right? That's what they always say, but they don't want to talk about the true history of this country and talk about everything that has happened up to this point, the good, bad, and the ugly that makes the country what it is today. And so I appreciate that representative saying, look, I don't want to have my name on it. I don't have anything to do with it. And it just pains me when I think about what Brother Senator Cory Booker said last week, when he was defending uh, uh, the judge, Judge Brown, uh, Jackson Brown, and he, he brought up the name of Tim Scott. 
uh, knowing what it's like to be an African-American in this country. But Tim Scott supports this type of legislation. And we must speak truth to power to that, that it's not just the black Democrats. It is those who have totally uh, uh, buy into white supremacy, the Tim Scotts of the world, the Herschel Walkers of the world, and others who are binding, to, binding together with the white supremacists, with the Republicans, to try to restrict our history, our access to voting, our access to opportunities, our access to capital, and, and, and mass incarceration, trying to take us right back to enslavement, point blank, period. Teresa, we see exactly what the battle is going on, and they want to deny American history. They want to deny truth. And that's what it's called an anti-truth bill. Yeah, I, you know, it it, uh, it definitely pains me, you know, to, to, to see not only that clip, but I've read other stories that it's what's happening locally. Um, these type of bills or, you know, potential legislation is going up. Um, and no one really wants to have a conversation about the real details about, um, I don't even want to say critical race theory, it's about our history and the injustices thereof. Because I, I you know, I, I read another piece that had to deal with, um, well, if we actually start recognizing that we actually committed these sins, we will have to pay for it in the long run. And so we start to see all of these countermeasures that go against, you know, us telling our history and us telling our story. So it's disappointing, but I think, again, why elections matter um, and the right elected official matters, um, that, I don't, you know, it's just disappointing. Well, uh, again, we have to be aware of what, exactly what the strategy is. Mustafa, this is all about white grievance. That's what this is all about, white grievance. Exactly. And it, it is the whitewashing of history so that you can then manipulate policy so that you can hold on to power and so that you can garner more resources for yourself and the communities that you come from. And by being... In, and that's the whole game plan here. You know, when they can eliminate the truth that has happened in the past, then it's easier to create the mis and disinformation um, so that you can move your agenda forward. And that's what this is all about. Um, it is indeed. All right, folks. Uh, Got to go to break. We come back. Uh, we'll talk uh, black and missing. Also, uh, we'll talk about a case out of Louisiana where the Supreme Court uh, issued a shocking ruling that could affect anybody uh, who is protesting in that state. Before I go to the break, I'm going to read some more of our um, uh, notes from our viewers. Uh, folks, if you want to support us in what we do, do a couple of things. First and foremost, download the Black Star Network app. Uh, a lot of you, uh, I was on the phone one today with Vimeo, talked about the problems we faced yesterday with the app. Uh, we're, getting, we're investigating exactly what happened, but you can download on your Android phone, Apple phone, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Join our Bring the Funk fan club, of course, you can join us, uh, send a check of money order to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C., 20037. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Uh, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. 
Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Uh, and so we want to thank uh, Kim Lacey, Keith Lewis, uh, as well as, let's see here, Janetta Sanders Cook. Uh, for giving during the show. We also have uh, Sean B uh, as well, Doris Walker uh, via Zale. Thank you so very much. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of you. Let me also just read some of these messages here. Congratulations, Black Star Network. Uh, I love what you're doing. Keep showing us who we are, uh, who we should be. Uh, God blessings, Pamela. Pamela, thank you so very much. Also a note here. Uh, Roland, just to say thanks to give and my continued support for all of you, for all you, for all of you and all you do to keep us informed. I've enclosed 50 bucks. Uh, Gloria Farlow, looks like. So, Gloria, I appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, keep on Roland Martin telling the truth for our people. Also, Happy New Year. Michael Hayward, uh, who also contributed to the show as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, my girl, Sheila, Dr. Sheila Brooks and Rodney Brooks uh, sent us this card. Uh, Y'all, take a shot of this. You're a black history, you are a black history fact in the making. That was the card they sent. Uh, congrats on the Black Star Network, so well deserved for uh, the two of you. Uh, thought, uh, thoughts, two of you, two of our favorite couples in the world. Uh, and then, uh, and the card says, you're, you're on the come up and making sure others are coming up with you. That's power, that's grace, that's love. Uh, love you much. Uh, hugs and big hugs from Dr. Sheila Brooks and uh, Rodney Brooks. Uh, and Sheila contributes uh, a thousand every year to, to us, so we appreciate that. Uh, last card. Well, it's that time of the year again. Uh, we're so happy for you and the Black Star Network. Prayer for continued success and good health. Uh, as a membership, Claudia and Rosemary Cleveland from Colorado. Uh, also for our daughters and family out of Crowley, Texas. Chandra Caradine and family out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, is it Arima or Prima Granger and family, take care, Claudia and Rosemary Cleveland. And so we appreciate y'all's support as well. Folks, thanks a bunch. We appreciate it, folks. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. the next A Balanced Life, as we grind down to the end of another long winter, it's easy to slip out of balance and into the foggy doldrums. On the next A Balanced Life, ways to push through the gray days until the warm days of spring arrive. Join me, Dr. Jackie, on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network.
impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens-West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks in Maryland are desperately searching for a missing nine-year-old. Taekwon Washington has not been seen since Saturday in Severn, Maryland. Uh, she is four feet, nine inches tall, weighs 126 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information to Taekwon's whereabouts, please contact the Anne Arundel Maryland County Police Department at 410-222-8610. It's 410-222-8610. A black man will serve as the newest chief of the Federal Aviation Agency. Uh, the FAA. Uh, that's right. Billy Nolan is currently safety administrator for the organization. He previously held leadership positions uh, at Qantas Airlines uh, for America as well as American Airlines. He will assume the role on Friday. So congratulations uh, on that particular um, uh, job. Also, the National College Players Association filed a civil suit against the NCAA as the next step to get college players paid. The suit alleges that all 350 NCAA Division I schools violate black students' civil rights by conspiring to cap athlete compensation. The NCAA limits what schools can provide to athletes in terms of athletic scholarships and, for the most part, prohibits any direct payments from schools to players. The NCPA argues that because many black students are also college athletes, the NCAA-wide compensation limit causes a disparate impact on black college students. Also, an update on Mason, Tennessee, folks. Uh, we spoke to the town's vice mayor, Virginia Rivers. Uh, the controller did not take over Mason, Tennessee today, but it will begin taking over the town's finances on April 4th. Rivers says the town must repay the nearly half a million dollars embezzled of the previous administration. Now, why isn't the person accused of stealing the money responsible for the money? He was found not guilty. The town's monthly payment of that debt uh, was lowered from $22,134 to a little over $9,500. They have 27 months to complete all payments. Once the controller takes over, the town must get permission to spend anything over $100. We're certainly keeping our eye on that story. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about this strange story. It's been this ongoing story out of Louisiana. You might remember, of course, uh, when there were protests uh, in uh, Baton Rouge, a uh, case where a uh, young man uh, was shot and killed in that particular place by city. Protest erupted in Baton Rouge. This is six years ago, okay? Protesters from all across the country went to Baton Rouge as a part of that particular case to seek justice. Well, one of the folks was DeRay McKesson. He was one of the protesters. Now, he also organized a protest. Well, an officer was injured as they were protesting the murder of Alton Sterling. That officer then sued DeRay, saying that DeRay was responsible for him being injured. 
The federal appeals court asked the state Supreme Court to decide if state law could be interpreted to place a, du to place, uh, a duty on a protest organizer to make sure the protest doesn't precipitate a crime. Well, Supreme Court Louisiana ruled against the raid. Folks, what this essentially is saying is that if anybody who is involved in a protest does something, the organizer could be held liable. That could have a chilling impact. Dre McKesson joins us now from New York City. Um, Dre, the moment I saw this, I, I, I thought about Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King led a march, and they organized the march. And at the back of the march, there were some young folks who acted a fool and started throwing stuff through windows, trashing cars. Uh, they grabbed Dr. King, put him into a car, actually put him into a hotel room, uh, and he was so traumatized by it, he immediately went to a state of depression. Uh, he was under the covers, fully clothed, and he later met with those young men uh, who said they were put up to it by some other folks. And that part right there reminded me of Minnesota, as I met George Floyd, when there was a video of a guy walking around, busting windows, and setting stuff on fire. And it was two years later we found out that it was a white supremacist who infiltrated the movement and caused it, but Black Lives Matter got blamed. This ruling literally says that if that happened, you're responsible. And you don't know who the hell's all showing up. Yeah, the, the wildest thing about this is that we actually haven't had the fact-finding yet. So, you know, those other cases, there was actual damage. Like, we know that there was damage in this case. The police officer just alleges he got hurt. We have never actually been to court to see if he got hurt, to prove that he even got hurt. So I'm not even clear that there are real damages here. You know, I was I was in Baton Rouge for uh, three or four days at that, like, you know, in the end. When I originally got down there, I got arrested so quickly. The police told me to get out of the street. I got out of the street. They arrested me anyway. I got arrested so early in the protest that I don't know what happened that night. I was in police custody for the next 17 hours. And then I get out. I actually got sued by a handful of police officers. They all got dismissed at the, the district court, which is great. Uh, this guy appealed. He won at the court. He won on the appeal. And then we go to the U.S. Court of Appeals. And they issue four separate decisions, unprecedented. That goes to the United States Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court sort of punts to the Louisiana State Supreme Court around these two questions that first get raised at the Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and we had hoped that the Louisiana State Supreme Court would rule in, in our favor because it is such an incredible ruling to not rule in our favor. And then we're here. So this would essentially make any protest person, forget leading, because I didn't even plan the protest in Baton Rouge. I was just there. I was there helping them out. I was helping manage some of the messaging, sort of, but, like, I was not one of the protest leaders. I had no insight about so, the route. So you didn't, you didn't call for the protest? You didn't organize it? You just attended it? So I met with some of the protest leaders the, the day before, so I knew it was going to happen, but I was not one of the planners. I wasn't even one of the actual leaders leading people. I mean, I have a... I had and have a big social media presence, so I was potentially, like, helping guide people know where to go and not go because of social media, but this wasn't, like, an event that I planned. Like, there are there are protests that I, like, helped plan, that I 
came up with the idea that I organized the logistics. This wasn't one of those. So, so how so how are you getting sued? I, I, like, so what? Thousands were there, and it's just you? Yeah, he's suing me because I was the I was the name and the face because my arrest was national news and you know, th there was a whole moment around the arrest. And, you know, I did sue the Baton Rouge Police Department. I led a class action lawsuit against the police. We won. It was the first class action lawsuit in the protest uh, to sue the police for, for misconduct, essentially. So, you know, I think that the police were pissed. I think that the people in Baton Rouge who were pro-police were pissed. I think that a lot of people were upset about the activism that that moment spurred. But, you know, I don't even know if John Doe is even was actually even hurt in the process, which is really wild. So I think I'll be fine. You know, I have incredible lawyers, uh, but the precedent that this sets is really chilling. And and that's the point there, because literally, when you're organizing a protest, um, you don't know who the hell shows up. It's not like there's a check-in process. Uh, and you're taking down names, cell phone numbers, date of birth, social security number to know all who is there. And even if you did all of that, anybody can literally join the protest. And if somebody leaving that protest goes and does something and punches a cop or throws something through a window, what? The cop then goes, oh, y'all who on stage, it's your fault because you brought these people here. And there is, you know, the reality is that there is Supreme Court precedent from the 60s, from the sit-ins, that protects protesters from lawsuits like this. We were shocked that there was so much confusion about that at the Court of Appeals. When we go to the Supreme Court, when we went last time to the Supreme Court, we anticipated that they would just very clearly rule in our favor because the, the precedent that the Supreme Court has established is actually pretty clear. And instead, they sort of punted on having to make a ruling about the First Amendment, and they deflect to the Louisiana State Supreme Court. The Louisiana State Supreme Court had a chance to just make this all go away. So the Supreme Court would not want to wade into it. I don't think that those Trump appointees want to come out with a ruling about the First Amendment. The hard thing is if this becomes the law, then the January 6th people, Donald Trump, a whole lot of the, all the abortion clinic people, all of those people suddenly become civilly liable for anything happening at those rallies. And I think that the Supreme Court just didn't want to wade into it, but here we are. And it looks like uh, they will have to wade into it. We will probably lose again at the Fifth Circuit, where we lost four times last time. Uh, and I anticipate that we will probably have to take this back to the Supreme Court. Uh, questions from my panel. DeMario, you first. Well, I think the issue is here that laws have been utilized to oppress our people from day one. So the same way we saw white, poor Republican voters not vote for uh, Medicaid expansion, not vote for all type of programs that would help them, I don't think they care that this law is going to hurt them. And I'm very concerned for First Amendment protections as a civil rights attorney. I'm very concerned for you, my brother, who, uh, you know, they would try to hold you liable personally, attorney's fees and all of that. We have a six to three Supreme Court that is conservative, I ain't gonna say conservative, racist. We have a racist Supreme Court that is trying to submit white minority rule here in America. This is a part of it to, st to make people afraid to dissent. I mean, we also have, when you couple what this law is doing with what they're doing state by state by making it legal to actually run over uh, actual protesters and make that legal, and when you put all that together, they're trying to make sure that they make sure people are afraid to protest and have dissent 
This is a very, very scary op, uh, scenario here. I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to this case. I'm glad you have great, powerful lawyers. I'm glad you're doing this public relations right now because people need to know about this. And I'm wishing you all the best for you and for our community. Thank you. Um, Teresa. Yeah, well, I'm, one, I'm sorry that you're going through this, um, but I, I do see this as a, a nationwide example. So unfortunately, you just have to be the face of this movement right now um, in order to contradict some of the um, issues that are happening. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a question for you, but I did read the story earlier and I was just thrilled about what's going on with you. I, it, it's just interesting here, but good luck. Mustafa? It is wild, too. You know, we've been doing I'm sorry, this go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's been a long road. Mustafa, go ahead. You're right. Thanks for everything that you do. Um, I, I think the most important question is how can so many of us be supportive of you and addressing this situation that's currently going on? You know, at this point, I think this really is in the hands of the courts, that the lawyers, the ACLU is co-counsel, David Goldberg, Supreme Court lawyer, he was the lawyer in Louisiana. Uh, he has been one of the Supreme Court lawyers who's working on this, too. So I feel good about them. You know, we've had, even the Republic, even the conservative people filed amicus briefs in support of us when we went to the Supreme Court last time, because they get it. You know, you think about all the Westboro people, people who trip uh, at abortion clinics, when the people are outside yelling, all of those people would be liable if this actually became the law. So we'll see. You know, it's interesting to think about Louisiana, if the legislature can do something to affirmatively guarantee the right to protest, because that will be even more important in that state if the Supreme Court doesn't make a nationwide ruling that just makes it very clear. Uh, and I think that's that point right there that is important. And again, the people uh, who, uh, who are watching and listening, Literally, this could apply to any protest. And that's the thing that folks have to understand. Uh, DeRay, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks. Uh, this is, uh, again, y'all might better pay attention because what's going on uh, in this country, you're seeing a whole lot of this stuff, this mess happen, uh, and you see the games that are being played uh, over and over and over when it comes to uh, our uh, rights and our liberties. And so they only like the First Amendment, y'all, when they want to use it for their benefit. That's what's going on here, and we got we got to realize that. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, I, I do want to uh, pick up uh, yesterday. We went, we went off the air last night, and um, that was that Chris Rock apology circulating around regarding what happened between him and Will Smith on Sunday at the Oscars. Uh, that, that apology was actually false. We told you that. It was con we definitely confirmed it. It was not uh, a legitimate uh, apology. Chris Rock has not commented uh, at all uh, on uh, any of this. Uh, but uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, she has issued uh, her uh, first uh, statement with regards to what, well, she actually did not speak to uh, what took place. Uh, on um, uh, on Sunday, but she did uh, release this statement. Give me one second. I need to pull it up, please. Uh, she posted this uh, on her Instagram page. Uh, this is a season for healing, and I'm here for it. That's all she posted. Um, this conversation uh, has still been raging all over social media uh, because of the Chris Rock joke. 
um, with regards to his G.I. Jane joke uh, on, on, on Sunday night at the Oscars. And uh, it's, been, it's been extremely revealing uh, the back and forth. Uh, you got white folks out there who weighing in, oh my goodness, uh, uh, Chris Rock should be arrested. I mean, excuse me, Will Smith should be arrested. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar weighed in uh, talking about that the actions of Will Smith uh, evoke uh, many of the racial stereotypes of black people. And I, I need to, this has to be said. And this is, and, and, and I need black people, please, please to listen to me. I am not going to be thinking like black people a hundred years ago where the actions of one black person represent all black people. What Will Smith did don't represent me or my brother or my daddy or my four nephews. And I think at some point, y'all have heard me say continuously that black people need to be reprogrammed. That we need to, we have got to remove white supremacy from our existence because when, and, and, and I get, I understand what Kareem was saying. But when we project that and say that, what we are actually doing is allowing white supremacy to continue to thrive. It's, it's no different than when I have the so-called conscious black folk. You know, the super duper black people. And they think they the blackest of the black. And they can toss out letters and acronyms and they can call themselves whatever they want, but, 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 but they the most conscious black people. But who will tweet me or email me calling me nigger and a coon. And I say, I'm sorry. How can you be a conscious black person, yet you use the language of white oppressors against your very people? You can't. So you even using the language means your ass ain't conscious. And so I just think that we have got to learn, Mustafa, Teresa, and Demario. We've got to fight to resist this notion that if somebody black does something, it reflects on all of us. And why are you doing that? You, you making us look bad in front of the white folks. The language that I have heard from some people 
literally sounds like, well, if this had happened at the BET Awards, uh, we can understand it. But, man, you did this in front of the white folks at the Oscars. Well, first of all, BET ain't even black-owned. So that's in front of the white folks. That, to me, is a part of this that has to change, Mustafa. Well, we definitely, you know, psychologically, mentally, we have to address the trauma that has been literally pumped into us um, and, and to begin to unpack how we see ourselves. Uh, and, and I'm not as worried about how the world sees us. If we do the work that's necessary to continue to uplift our people, then I think we're moving in the right direction. I will say, that there's way too much violence that happens um, inside and outside of our community, and we have to be mindful of that. And we have to make sure that in totality we are addressing that, whether it is mental or physical uh, or the other forms of violence um, and abuse that happens. So for me, I'm focused on how do we uplift ourselves, how do we strengthen ourselves, both mind, body, and spirit. Um, and I think if we invest our time there, then we will be moving in the right direction to actually help our people be in a stronger position. This was the headline, Teresa. Will Smith did a bad, bad thing. Slapping Chris Rock was also a blow to men, women, the entertainment industry, and the black community. Okay. And again, I have great respect for Kareem, and I understand what he is arguing in his post. But... Hell, if you're going to say it was also a blow to men, women, the entertainment industry, and the black community, well, hell, that's everybody. <laughs> Let me read yeah. it again. Slapping Chris Rock was also a blow to men, women, the entertainment industry, and the black community. Well, hell, <laughs> if you stop at men and women, that's everybody. Don't forget, it's also a blow to Philadelphia. You know, it's... But, 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 but this notion that we have to single out, ooh, this was a blow to black men. No. It wasn't. Go ahead. You're right. I, you know what? Um, I've been looking at the different op-eds uh, and blog posts that's been coming out, and I have been disturbed because, you know, I had to do a self-reflection and say... Am I lumped into, you know, the actions of one individual? And I had to tell myself no. And so when I was having these conversations um, with friends of mine that aren't African-American, I'm very clear that their actions is not my actions. So, you know, I was brought up a little different, and I don't think I would have reacted, but we don't know because we weren't in his shoes. And so I think, you know, it, it comes a point where everyone's opinion um, should just be their opinion, but not necessarily an overall uh, objective uh, point of view for the individual that created that action. You know, we we done seen so many memes that came out of this. You know, um, there was probably about four different articles that said this is a blow to Philadelphia and, you know, this is the type of uh, people that they raised. We have to be honest. Will Smith hasn't lived in Philadelphia for over 30 years. Um Sometimes he, you know, comes there for some of his uh, projects, but he hasn't lived here. So 
part of it is, you know, it could be just wherever he was for 30 years, this could be a stake on L.A., right? So, I mean, we, we can't just keep putting these tags on individuals. We just have to say Will Smith did this because he felt this way. But I, I think, you know, putting this tag on an entire population also takes us back into this plantation mindset um, where we are only thinking of, uh, you know, where, you know, if, if I mean, look, let's look at history, right? Um, if you were on a plantation, you did not have a name. You had an initial, right? And so if, if you were called by, you know, that initial of, um, you know, by your slave master, you knew who you were, right? And so for me, it's just I, I'm not Will Smith. I am a, my own woman. It is not a disgrace to our community. Um, and I just hope as individuals we can all do better. It doesn't matter the color, creed, or religion, or where they're from. So, you know, the, the thing here, DeMario, that I find to be um, interesting. So, okay, all right. So you, you, you had that, 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 that statement right there. Well, then you had Al Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin of all people who should shut his punk ass up. Alec Baldwin... The one that killed somebody? Didn't Alec Baldwin shoot well, somebody? Well, Alec Baldwin, whose gun discharged that killed the cinematographer on the movie set. The gun was in his hand, right? But, 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 that but, Alec Baldwin. I just want to make sure I'm talking about the same thing. Right, right, ahead. right. That, that, that Alec Baldwin tweeted, uh, I'm sorry the Oscars turned into the Jerry Springer show because of what happened. The same Alec Baldwin who is notoriously fighting people. The same Alec Baldwin who fought somebody over a parking spot. And this is where what I'm saying why I disagree with Kareem's perspective. Does Alec Baldwin's actions speak to all white men? Listen, I, if Lil Wayne went, said some dumb shit about how ain't no racism because I see white people in my audience, Lil Wayne ass don't represent me at all. Kodak Black and Ray J. They little asses were down there at Mar-a-Lago with Trump and that punk ass representative, uh, former representative Vernon Jones who praised Kodak Black for paying for the funerals of law enforcement officers. Ain't nothing Kodak Black say or do representative of me as a black man. When we, when we say this, DeMario, when we articulate this, what we're really doing is playing right into the whole deal of, come on, man, don't do that, because if the, the, one, the one thing you do, that represent all of us. No, it don't. Kareem's son stabbed his neighbor. He in prison. 
The actions of Kareem's son don't represent all black people. So what? Because it's Will and Chris at the Oscars, it does? No. The undercurrent of what Kareem is saying is that, damn, why y'all had to do that in front of the white people? That has to change this right here for us where we really are so concerned about how, because the white people saw it and how they feel. It is so much to unpack here. And I'm going to start here. The trauma that you're talking about changing our minds starts with the fact that we legitimize an illegitimate organization, which is the Oscars itself. It's an illegitimate organization that was set up for white people to celebrate white people. And the only reason the Oscars are even relevant is because black people are a part of it. You can't even have entertainment without black people. And so let's start there with changing our mind state, where we have to force ourselves into these, these white spaces. These are not, that's not government, it's not taxpayer dollars. Force our space into these white spaces to be feeling like we're being validated by what they believe is great art, what they believe is the best actor. We say, oh, this is the first black actor since you know, 16 years. So what? That's an organization that is racist from 80 years of its founding. Now it sprinkles in a few black people that then they decide who's, who's the best actor in them. Let's start there with, our, with the trauma of our mind state. Number two, I saw the slap like everyone else. I would say that I was, you know, if that happened to me, if you slap me, it's gonna be some slapping going on. As a man, I get all that, but I'm certainly disappointed that this is still such a distraction in our community. Do you know that President Biden, and I'm sure Roland, you probably talked about it yesterday in his new budget uh, coming out where he's going to give billions more dollars to policing, 31 more billion dollars additional to the Pentagon to feed the war machine, sending more billions of dollars over to Ukraine to folks who don't look like us, who, according to published reports in the New York Times, the Peace Corps is telling, hey, black people, if you come over here, you may be called nigger, you may be called monkey, but we're sending our taxpayer to black money, black taxpayer dollars over there, but we got black communities all around this country who cannot get proper uh, funding, proper education, can't get reparations, can't get restoration for what was lost during urban development and Jim Crow and redlining. These are our real problems. So I agree with you that these particular acts of two guys, two rich guys, do not represent the, the, the totality of black folks. But we have to start with the root of our mind state that we don't need any white validation, period, to be full-fledged human beings that can decide who we decide is the best, who we decide what is good, what is the next trend, and what should be important to us. Yeah, I, I, I just want us, I just want us, when something happens, the default should, should not be, man, what you doing? Uh, white people are watching. I was, who was I talking, the last point here, I was talking to somebody, uh, I'm gonna go to a break, then we're gonna go to, uh, talk about the UNCF and charter schools. Um, I can't remember, somebody posted this, I can't remember who I was talking to, and they said, or was it a comedian? They said that it's interesting when black people, if we're talking to one another, and then we mention white folks, we start whispering. 
I, I saw that bit and I said, damn, he's right. I've seen it happen. That we could be having a conversation and ain't nobody around. And we could be going on and on and on. But man, you know the man, the white folks, they're like, why are you whispering? Ain't nobody here. That, y'all, is how deeply embedded white supremacy is, is that we act this way and see that. Then what took place? That was Will Smith and Chris Rock. That ain't have a damn thing to do with the rest of black America. That's something they got to resolve. Simple as that. All right, y'all, I'm going to a break. We're going to talk about um, our Education Matters segment. Uh, we've got, uh, just real quick here, uh, Alfonso Newton said, I am 73 years old and don't understand how exactly Cash App works and don't want it connected to my checking account. But because of my learning curve, I am sending you this check. I've been following your show and really appreciate the work you are doing. I pledge my continued support. Alfonso, man, I appreciate that. Y'all, if y'all want to be like Alfonso, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingthismartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. But again, those of you, if you are uncomfortable using uh, any of that technology, you can still send your check or money order to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. Folks, we'll be right back on the Black Star Network. Deborah Owens on the next Get Wealthy, meet Dr. Stacy McCoy, whose American dream became a nightmare because of student loan debt. Whether you're paying $300 a month or eventually I got up to $1,700 a month. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold that, hold that for just a minute. You were paying $1,700 a month on your student loans? Yes, and I know other people who are paying more than that. Learn the one piece of advice that made all of it go away. Right here on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network. My name is Charlie Wilson. Hi, I'm Sally Richardson Whitfield. And I'm Dodger Whitfield. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, folks, your Don Negro College Fund and Mike Bloomberg have announced a $10 million gift that will assist the UNCF in opening uh, public charter schools tied to HBCUs, as well as help with the recruitment of HBC, HBCU students and teachers. This, of course, is a significant thing. Uh, you don't have a lot of charter schools tied to HBCUs, but you do see an increasing number of African-Americans who are being supportive of charter schools. Now, folks, this new investment is part of Bloomberg Philanthropy's $750 million effort to create 150,000 additional seats for children in high-quality charter schools across the United States. Sekou Biddle is the Vice President of Advocacy and Student Professional Development Programs with the UNCF. He joined us right now. So, say cool, say cool. So, put people understand this here. So, how many HBCUs in America have charter schools tied to their campus? I know Howard University. Yeah, good question. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure how many how many institutions right now have a charter school connected with their campus. What we do know is there are a number of uh, HBCUs around the country that do have K through 12 schools attached to their campuses. So, Bennett College in North Carolina. Uh, Tougaloo College in Mississippi has one as well. And we believe this is a great opportunity to expand that network and go back to a legacy of what HBCU used to have in terms of having K-12 through institutions directly connected to their institutions. So, uh, so, so we've talked, so first of all, $10 million uh, is a lot, but not necessarily a lot. So um, how many schools are we talking about? Uh, because, you know, charter schools, uh, again, schools range uh, in size. Uh, and yeah. so uh, how many schools is the UNCF looking to open with this investment? Yeah, yeah. So I think a different way to think about this, Roland, is what we're really trying to do is work with HBCUs to catalyze the, the, the process of starting schools. So we want to work with as many HBCUs that are, that are interested to start down the path of what's the right way for them to innovate in secondary education to help build a pipeline of young people that are ready for college and careers. And so this won't necessarily directly align to a number of new schools open, but it will hopefully get a large number of HBCUs working on both building teacher training pathways as well as opening new innovative schools. But the, the reason the charter school is important is because, one, you're, you're having a much better control of the education of the students. What I mean by that is, and look, I'm a huge supporter of charter schools, but I'm a supporter of every form of education, Public, 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 traditional public schools, charter schools, magnet schools, private schools, online school, all of it, as, as long as it's working. And if any of right. it's failing, I believe in getting rid of it, including charter schools. But the, but the thing that I always keep saying to people, if I understand, college is at the end of the education spectrum. If you've got a child going through elementary school, junior high school, and, and high school, and they're not meeting the grade, it's a good chance they're gonna fail or they, 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 they won't even get to college. But if they do get there, they're actually going to fail. And so it is important to me having the ability to be able to create uh, a school where you can be able to impact that child in elementary school and send them to that feeder school, to that junior high school, or even, even have a situation with Bloomberg's money where you create a charter school that's one that's an elementary school, you know, a middle school charter, then a high school charter, and then they're able to go to the HBCU. So you're really controlling the entire educational process of that child. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's also important, you know, Roland, that to really think about how, look, HBCUs have a rich history for over 150 years of helping, in particular, black people 
find educational success and pathways into successful careers. And we think that the more that we can work to bring the best practices and the learnings of, you know, over, like I said, over 150 years of education down the pipeline. So we're helping many more students and families chart the path to success because we know overwhelmingly black families, you know, parents and students aspire to go to college and get a degree and go on to successful careers. And we think that bringing some of the know-how and the experience, in fact, frankly, some of the culturally relevant cultural relevance that exists in the HBCU community down into K-12 is going to be hugely important to communities. So when we're talking about um, this $10 million, um, in terms of how is it going to be partitioned in terms of yeah. for, for school development and then for teacher development and then student development. So how are you breaking it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we got, still have a lot of work to do on that front, Roland. Uh, I will tell you, there, there actually, if you think about this, sort of three things that need to be done here at least. So obviously we're going to be working with HBCUs on building their readiness and their interest in, you know, who's interested in getting involved in a project around, expanding downward into the pipeline, you know, whether it be uh, middle school or high school and working on building pathways to college there. We're going to be working with HBCUs on who wants to get involved in doing innovative work? You know, there's, a, there's an innovative project that um, at Xavier University in New Orleans, the Norma C. Francis Teacher Residency, so innovative teacher training and professional development models. But also, Roland, frankly, a part of this is working with HBCUs, but also working with community members to figure out what is it the communities want and need to have happen in the education pipeline, and how do we co-create with communities, the HBCU leaders, the kinds of programs and innovations that community members want to have and that, you know, parents want to have their children exposed to. Uh, questions from our panel. I'm going to start with Teresa. Uh, I went to Philadelphia for where we took our school choice is a black choice program uh, where you have African-Americans who own, excuse me, who control charter schools, who lead those schools there. And, and my whole point is I've always been saying I want to see more black people running, controlling charter schools because the people out there who say, oh, I don't like charters. Here's the difference. You, you, we control the curriculum. We control the budgets. We control who gets hired. We control the money. Teresa, your question or comment. Yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, representing UNCF on bringing this initiative to the forefront. One of my questions is, because there is a black coalition here in the city of Philadelphia that is fighting to not only keep their charter school open, but to make sure that um, it's, it's equitable across the field. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what is one thing um, that the Bloomberg Philanthropies can do to um, actually maybe reach out to some of them? I think it's maybe about 10 or 12 schools. Um, but maybe look into it a little further to maybe help their calls to make sure that their schools um, not only had the option of just staying open, but had the ability to stay open. Yeah, yeah. So let me be clear. I can't speak for Bloomberg Philanthropies, um, but, I, but I will speak for UNCF. And, you know, part of what we're trying to do here, Teresa, is recognize, and I think you raised an important issue about sort of the equitable treatment of, in particular, Black-led black schools. We want to make sure that that starts at the beginning, right, and that we're providing the resources, the support, you know, and that they're getting the same kind of opportunities that other school leaders and entrepreneurs get to start schools and also get the support structure from institutions to help them grow, be strong and be stable. Because that's oftentimes the, the challenge. And I know a lot of issues on this show come back to issues of, you know, inequitable treatment and conditions that black people and institutions have. And part of what we're trying to solve for here is how can we build strong foundations 
for strong institutions, you know, for black students and black community in the black community led by black institutions. Mustafa. My question is, you know, we have these examples of uh, other projects that are going on where there are charter schools connected um, to HBCUs. What's come out of that? What has been the analysis that, that is saying this is a good direction to go? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, one of the most important things that we see when we see schools connected to HBCUs in general, and that is that the in particular, sort of the, the cultural elements that are successful in helping HBCU students thrive come down into middle school and high school examples. And that's, you know, the intrusive advising, all the sort of culturally important things that are built around not, not sort of like add-ons to, oh, and you have to be black, but are intentional about we're here to support the success of black young people into becoming successful black adults gets built intentionally into the culture of how the school operates. I think that's hugely important. I think that that's clearly so much of what's been missing in so many of our schools. Demario. You know, I spent um, about a year, I was uh, working with what we call the Greenwood Leadership Academy here in Tulsa and went around the uh, nation, went to Sacramento and visited Kevin Johnson's school, went to Memphis, Tennessee, I think we visited the Yes Network up there and then went out to D.C. and visited these different networks and then spent about six months really uh, researching these different networks. And as Roland said, so many of these larger charter schools are run by, you know, white corporations mm -hmm. and they're making tens of millions of dollars a year. So my question is twofold. One, you know, what has been done with this funds and overall to make sure that these this funding goes to black uh, led institutions. Yeah. yeah. And then number two, that these institutions, um, not, as we control the curriculum, but can have more African-centered thought and African-centered mm -hmm. perspective and not just black people running the same type of white supremacist type systems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great question. So I think so the first part of it, you know, what we're focused on is building pipelines and pathways for black teachers and black leaders, because we believe that, you know, much like we see in successful HBCUs today, that having, you know, black leaders in place working in communities that they are connected to, that they listen to, they work well with, we're more likely to set up successful programs and systems in schools that help the students that they're designed to help. Uh, you know, and I think the reality is that we know that the successful institutions do those things. So we're going to work really, really hard to both identify the kind of people who want to do this work and some who are already doing this work who perhaps want to connect with an institution in order to scale and build out, you know, grow a school that they're currently operating or a program they're currently have in existence. So there's a lot of work to be done here. Um, but I think you, you hit some on some important points, which are that this has to be black people doing the right things for black people, which we believe is important and which is part of what we're going to be doing here, not simply black people doing something that somebody else did poorly also. All right, then. All right, well, good luck with it. We look forward to getting more information about it. Uh, and again, we want what's best uh, for our students uh, and want to see them succeed, and that's really what it's all about. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks a bunch. All right, y'all. Coming up next, uh, Marketplace. Uh, folks, so check this out. So y'all see these shoes I'm wearing? 
Uh, it's a black-owned company. Uh, the shoes that I'm rocking right now. Uh, and so, uh, just give me camera one. Uh, so what y'all will see is, so we're gonna talk about the, uh, the owners next, but I'm gonna tell y'all how they got on when Joe Torrey and I, let's just say we had a few words for each other. Cause you know, he a little mega. He is little. Uh, so we had a little few words for each other at the uh, Eric Dickerson Golf Tournament uh, that was in that was in California a few months ago. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Black Star Network is this. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Pull up a chair, take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Now, did you ever want to do a soap opera? I did it before, Another World. I did it years ago uh -huh. with uh, Joe Morton, Morgan Freeman, called Another World. It's the funk now, but that's how I started in TV. You? My first job. You? My very first Joe, TV job. Joe Morton and Morgan Freeman were on a soap opera? Together. Yes, wow. I know. Oh, I loved it. I played a prostitute. I was real raw. My name was Lily Mason. I was I was a hoe on Tuesday, and I owned the town two weeks later. <laughs> that's how they do you. Right, that's how soap opera. You know, opera. you evolve, yeah. Right. So now I'm on this, but I'm rich right from Jump Street. <laughs> so I'm loving it. I'm Bill Duke. This is Diala Riddle, and you're watching Roland Martin. Unfiltered. Stay woke. Fam, so um, a few months ago, I was playing in the Eric Dickerson Golf Tournament in California, and y'all know we always score on each other uh, when we get together. And so especially that's the case of me and Joe Torrey. So before the tournament, uh, we were on the putting green with Alonzo Mourning, uh, and as we always do, we talk a little trash back and forth. And so I'm rocking my Houston Astros. We were in the World Series at the time playing the Atlanta Braves, and so, uh, say it again here, I couldn't hear you. So, 
So we were sitting here, um, uh, we were sitting here talking trash on a putting green, and this is actually what took place. Listen to this. First of all, you out here wearing them Smurf shoes. This is my line, my shoe line, bro. You have a shoe line? That's right. Cool. It's Rock Deep. Shoes called Lil. It's off of Rock Deep Global. It's on IG. Black man got his own shoe line. I got my stage killers. I got my. I have to. I've been wearing them. These are my golf line right here. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth, son. First of all, what's the name of the game? Rock Killers. Rock who? It's Rock Deep Global. Rock Deep Global. It's on Instagram right now. That's the company that's doing my shoe. Yeah, okay. All right. Thank you. Out of North Carolina, bro. Yeah, all right. I'll get you a pair. Right. I'll get you a pair. Right. Those are the shoes. Stage you, killers. Those, those are the shoes. Ladies you, and laughters. Those were the shoes when you were a kid. Your, your, your mom and dad had bought in the grocery store. That's what they are. That, that's see, that, that we can find them. They are Dollar General. You see what they are? That's they, right. They are Dollar General. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rock Deep Global. Yeah. Okay. That's, go, that's, go to that's, it, baby. Black man company. You know what I'm saying that's why we do it out here. GBGB. Get back. Get black. First comedy. See, don't nobody First comedian. Know what, don't, don't First what comedian. The hell. Get back. Get black. Okay. That's what it means. Okay. Get black. All right. Get back. Get back, get back. Get back. Get back. Get back. <laughs> he, he can't even remember what the hell his own shoe is. man. I'm going to spit on your camera. I'm trying to... <laughs> I was trying to say, it's like, where? Piece of biscuit is about to come out. <laughs> Rock Deep Global, baby. That's right. Joe Torrey, the first comedian with his own shoe line. The Legends of Laughter shoe line. The, uh, standing O's. All right. The stage Killers. That's what I'm doing. That's what we talking about. That's what I'm, that's what I'm releasing first. This is the, this is the golf, one of the golf players. You done? I mean, we ain't got enough space on the card. You done? We got 128 in there. You done? I know. Rue! You know that little youth group he's in. It's all about the alpha. So, so we're sitting there rocking, and so you could tell, Joe couldn't even remember the name. I'm like, Joe, you can't tell about you got a shoe line, and you can't remember the name of the shoe line. So then, so I posted a video, and the folks at uh, Rock Deep hopped on my page, and they were like, come on, Ro, we had hit you back uh, about, about our shoe line. We never heard back from you until they checked their DMs and realized that I did hit them back. Then they were like, oh, damn, my bad, you did hit us back. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and send you a pair. And I was like, well, first of all, if you're going to send me anything, it's going to be black and gold. And so that's what, uh, yeah, I know, Mario, you can't, Mario, you can't wear these. So I know your, your, your little two little brothers there, Joe Torrey and Alonzo Mourning, uh, they were there in the, uh, in the video there. Uh, but, but you know, these here don't look good at all in any other color but, uh, but uh, black and gold. But Mustafa, you understand that. You can wear these, Mustafa. You can wear these, Demario can't. Joining us right now is Rocky Paris, the CEO and founder of Rock Deep uh, from uh, Oxen Hill, Maryland. Glad to have you here. So, y'all finally got Joe straight on knowing the name of the company because he was struggling at the top of the video. I think y'all had a couple drinks uh, rolling. That no, I, hold up. I ain't never drank. I've never drank oh, in my life. That must, okay, that must be that, that Omega. That Omega, he probably had a Bloody Mary that early. But no, we we got him straight, and uh, but we're good, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate you having me on first of all, and uh, yeah, Joe for representing Rock Deep. I think he was you know getting mixed up between the Rock Deep Global, which is our um, our IG name, which IG won't give us our real name, Rock Deep, 
But uh, yes, Rock Deep is the company name. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so how long have you be, you guys uh, been around? This is our 10th year in business, and uh, not my 10 years of business, but 10 years of Rock Deep. I've been doing business for a long time. I'm a businessman by trade, um, hustling uh, from where I've grown up to where I am now. But uh, this is our 10-year anniversary, actually. Uh, and um, so the type of shoes that you guys do, only athletic shoes or other shoes? So we are venturing, and we're obviously we're, we're trying to grow year by year. We started off with... Uh, Hiking and now we're doing athletic and lifestyle shoes. So we actually probably got a couple wingtips in, uh, in the in the wings for you coming up. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will do that. So 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 walk folks through because you know so many of us, um, uh, you know, so many people are used to you know wearing Nike, wearing Adidas, and and it's hard to get people uh, out of that. And, and, and I'm quite sure. Uh, y'all have had to deal with folks who are, man, I don't know if your stuff real, what, they gonna fall apart, kind of stuff along those lines. And, and I, I remember a year, it was years ago, uh, ABC, I think it was ABC 2020, they did, uh, it was, uh, I think, John Stossel. And they did a story on Stephon Marbury. And they were talking about uh, his shoe, Strawberry. And I think he was selling them for 15, 20 bucks and they went to a university professor. And I mean, I wish I could find it. It was a brother. And they actually did, uh, if y'all could find it on YouTube, let me know. Just look up Stefan Marbury, John Stossel, ABC 2020, uh, Starbury. And they, they did a deconstruction of the shoe. And so they literally tore the shoes apart and they compared the Nike to the, to the Starbury shoe. And the guy went through the padding, the sole, of the the, uh, the ankle protection, and he basically c concluded it was the same shoe. He said, so $15 compared to $150, he said, you really spend $135 on that box. Correct, well, for the name. But I, I disagree because it wasn't really apples to apples because you can't really put a Jordan Air, even though 30 years ago, they're still using that technology as if it's brand new today. They're still selling you a... Uh, a $15 technology for about $300. But back then, he really wasn't doing, you know, EVA to EVA and, you know, upper material to upper material. He wasn't using a signature Jordan. He was doing a, you know, an old team Jordan. So I'm, I'm actually familiar. I'm 49 years old myself, so I go back a little bit ways myself. But to your earlier point of how do we get people to, to believe in this brand loyalty and just, you know, being out there hustling. We didn't get here overnight. You know, we, we started off with a Kickstarter with one shoe, and now we're up to 300 styles. But, uh, you know, people see us right now, like me being on uh, Roland Martin's show and saying, man, you could have made it. Yeah, you know, overnight success. And I'm like, man, it only took me 49 years to get here. So, <laughs> it, it, and, I, and I was listening to you last night as well. You know, it, it's all about not caring what people think about you um, and doing what you're going to do regardless of what, you know, staying within your vision and being true to yourself. Uh, it wasn't easy. And if everybody thinks they could do it, I invite you to do it. Uh, but for us, you know, unfortunately, we had to wait until people of our hue came and joined the party. But I'm glad they're here now. Uh, but, you know, it took pilgrims, it took pilgrims uh, supporting us to keep us here 10 years. But right now, I would say we are uh, neck and neck with our people supporting us just as much as everybody else. Absolutely. First of all, y'all YouTube people, uh, look, uh, I don't know how we ain't hit 1,000 likes. Y'all slow. So let's get it going. It's only at 645. I ain't going to ask again now. This don't make no sense. I got to keep telling y'all to hit that like button. 
Now, here's the point I want to make. Now, I almost brought him in, uh, but uh, I wasn't going give give to give him a free shot because Nike don't advertise with us. Um, but um, so, so, so show these shoes again. So I would dare say these, these shoes here that I'm wearing, it's a compression style. It's a compression style. Now, I have a pair of black and gold Kevin Hart Nikes that uh, look very similar, that are compression style. And I can tell you those are horrible on my feet because they're too damn compression. I mean, I'm talking about they damn near strangle my feet, they don't breathe. And it's hard to actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. I mean, and it's hard, I don't wear them a lot because it's hard to get my feet in the shoes, how they're constructed. These were a lot easier uh, to, matter of fact, do this here. Uh, go to the, uh, Alex, go to, or, uh, or Eric, go to the, um, go to the um, uh, room, uh, tech room. Uh, bring me out that folding chair, please. Uh, it was a lot easier for me to put these shoes on and they feel even more comfortable and breathe in terms of how I'm wearing them than those black and gold Kevin Hart Nikes that I have. So let me explain to you why. So they have the opportunity uh, of people like yourselves and my, who've been brand loyal to, you know, brands like Nike, you know, I've been there. Um, but I don't have that, I don't have that, that luxury. When you, when you go to one, went to one of our stores were open or onto our website, I don't know where you're going to pick. I have to hit every single time on comfortability and, you know, shoe looks are subjective. What you like, maybe not what I like. And what I like may not be what anyone likes, but I have to create outside of myself. So, but when I put these shoes on you, I have to build the shoe from inside out. If it is not comfortable, you are not giving me a second chance. If it's good, you're going to give us a second chance. But we literally have to make the best first impression when you put that shoe on for the first time. All right, so here's, all right, so here's the perfect example. So uh, when I put this, so I'll go ahead and take a seat. I'll show y'all folks, uh, just so you understand. So when I got dressed, boom, I sat here, and these have, these shoes here, this pair, no laces. There are no laces. So, in terms of Bennett, it slid right on. I'm gonna tell you right now, it, I gotta struggle with those damn uh, well, Nikes. And so again, just walking people through, um, just, just in terms of just, uh, just, uh, just how they feel. And so, um, when you talked about uh, hitting, so I take it you got uh, some that what? Laces, some not laces. Why, uh, why this particular style here? Just curious. Because, you know, you're a little closer to my age than I am with my kids, and I wanted to get something that we, for you that was comfortable. And, you know, as we get older, we want to do less tying of laces and all that jazz. So I just sent you something that was a slide on, and I knew it would be comfortable, so I know you like it. Plus, as of some of my cousins, you are alpha, so I wanted to send you the black and gold just to represent, because I knew you'd probably, since you don't wear sneakers much, I knew you'd wear those. Alexa, also. Sorry about that. Uh, well, well, yeah, like, I, 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 I wear them. I wear them. I've right, got questions uh, from the panelists. Uh, yes. And Alpha's gonna go first to Mario. Mustafa, go ahead. <laughs> Rocky, congratulations. Um, you know, I was on the website three times a day. Rock deep. Whether it's your apparel or the shoes, it's just fire. So congratulations on that. I'm interested in, you know, what inspires you to bring out all these, you know, just really, really hot different types of products that you have. So originally, um, great question, by the way. So originally, I did it because, you know, I grew up poor. My parents weren't buying me hundred, not even a hundred, but not even two, three hundred dollar shoes. So I wasn't going to be a hypocrite and sell back to my community shoes that I couldn't afford as a child myself growing up. Um, you know, as I got older, I was able to buy what I wanted, things of that nature. But 
I wanted to be able to create something that was affordable. I actually started out selling everything that I did for sub-99, but fake inflation, prices rising, and things of that nature have gone, you know, we've had to go plus 100, but we've got a little something for everybody, so we don't have just one type of shoe. We've got something literally for everybody that walks through our doors or comes to our website. Teresa. Teresa. Well, congratulations. As a fellow entrepreneur myself, I know what it takes to get to this point. Um, I am actually on the website right now. Um, Roland, I'm glad you actually did that example. My dad is also up there in age. And so I am like literally going online trying to find him uh, sneakers because literally we were just at the store the other day and he was talking about I'm over shoelaces and I need something that's comfortable. So Hold on, let's be clear. I ain't got a problem tying no damn laces. So that shit ain't got nothing to do with me being 53. I'm just simply well, I... saying, I'm just simply saying, out of the compression shoes, these slide on easier. I'm like, so you might like want to change, what the hell are you talking about? Up in age yeah. like your daddy and I can't, you lost your damn mind. Hell, I got all kinds of shoes, but is it, girl, you better go and ask your damn question before I cuss you out, Teresa, go on. Uh, my, my, uh, my question is, um, the designs are very unique. So are you literally like creating um, like the color scheme and everything like from start to finish yourself? Because like as I look at some of the women's collection, um, it's almost very like unisex, but it's also like pastel colors. And, you know, African-American people, we look great in pastels. So, um, you know, that's just kind of one thing that I was noticing outside of the like really good pricing. So if you maybe want to expand on, expand on that, that would be great. Sure. So um, if you look and you'll notice a lot of the names, um, other than, you know, you'll see the Dahomey, which is for the Dahomey Amazons, and uh, you'll see, you know, Kush, uh, uh, or just many names that are from, you know, are just from Africa. Um, and I have some from Italy and things of that nature, but all my shoes tell a story. So those colors come from someplace. I don't just go and stick colors on the shoe. Um, well, sometimes I do, but I'm literally designing 10 shoes at a time because... You know, if you just work on one shoe, you can kind of get burnt out. So for me, you know, I'm researching, I'm reading, I'm looking up things. And I always tell my kids, I have seven kids, and I always tell them, be inspired by everything. So literally, I always have a notebook with me all the time. And people know this who know me. Just know I'm always taking notes. I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea and just write it down. But I do have a chief designer, uh, Jameson, uh, who is phenomenal. Basically, if I think it, he can bring it to life. And uh, we, we have a small team, but I love my team, uh, Rudy, my wife, uh, and, and Renee, who helps us with the shipping. Uh, but we do what we do just from love and from inspiration. So for the colors, the colors come from us. Uh, we are the colors. I mean, I know a lot of people love jazzy and, and colorful, bright things, but um, it all goes into the story of what we're telling for each shoe. All right, well, Joe Torres sent me a text. He said, uh, that was hilarious, hashtag upper age. I said, yeah, she think I ain't caught that damn shade. I know Teresa thought I ain't catch that. Oh, I'm quick now. I'm going to hit your ass right back. Tell me, just like my, you, my, like you, my daddy, up in his age. You lost your damn mind. DeMario, go ahead and ask your question. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I, love I love it, Teresa. Thank you so much. Because you know he always talking that noise. We got to get him every time we can. Uh-huh, with your old ass. Come on. <laughs> Hey, man, you know, this is my first time learning about Rock Deep, and I am really, really uh, impressed and excited to go on your website. But here's my question. How can I get some purple and gold? I like what Roland They don't sell on. that many. They up. trying to make money, dog. I like, I like the, they I trying like to make Roland money. I like what Roland has on. It's just the wrong damn colors. Joe Torrey, 
I know you got some purple gold. You got Joe Torrey representing. So how can I? It's the right color, son. I'm going to tell you a quick story. And I don't mean to, you know, put, cast any shadows on y'all's uh, frat. But uh, when I first got started, a couple brothers were at my sister's party. And they asked me to design a boot for them. So I did, a stepping boot. Said, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm gonna make it $150. It's it's basically like a $300 boot. Well, for some reason, all these brothers were telling me that I was fronting and I was posing and they was trying to cut me out. I was like, no one is worth my business, and I cut the shoe and everybody was mad. So I've stayed away from the hold whole. On, hold, uh, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. What frat was that? He said he stayed uh, away from the Hold on, hold on. What frat was that? It it, it was accused. Cause that's a broke ass oh, frat. Man. That's why. So they got mad at you because they said the boots cost too much. No, no, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. But like I said, I know that everybody is very, like y'all. Y'all very personal. You take it very, you know, very seriously. But I just say, you know what? I'm gonna stay away from the whole frat thing. But we do make a couple things because you know my boy Joe. You know he 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 is uh, cute, and I got to take care of him. So especially with his new line coming out and everything. So I appreciate him again for putting that out there. My man Smackwater, which is from Houston as well. Uh, but, you know, I have something for all of your listeners if they go to, uh, and watchers and supporters, if they go to our uh, Instagram page, I am giving y'all a 50% discount on some things, so y'all got to go check out Rock Deep Global and y'all can see the discount. Well, you got, uh, you got well, the pilot, the pilot. Wait, 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 Roland, wait. Are you, so you said I can't get a pair of shoes like, like Roland's just purple and gold. Is that, is it a no? Well, I mean. That wasn't a no, but we will be coming out with a black and gold. I'm sorry, a purple and gold, or uh, uh, what is it? Old royal gold, royal purple and old gold. I think y'all's colors are. Uh, we will be coming out with a color similar to that, but it'll be because of my Lakers, not because of the uh, cute. <laughs> <laughs> now that's called. Now that's called some good shade right there. That's called good shade. He said. He said they coming out with. He said they coming out with the purple and gold ain't got a damn thing to do with y'all on that, that hurt. That hurt. Hell yeah, that hurt. And I loved it. We gonna put that in a promo. He said, and look, and just so you just so you know, just so you know, when you said they colors of purple and old gold, they could not be original because they took the old gold from Alphas because we had it first. So damn it, we know what's up. So that's what's up. Uh, you're gonna have to do, you're gonna have to probably send me a because here's the problem that I have. Uh, the problem that I have is uh, my dad wear the same size as I do. My dad got a habit of wearing my shit and, like, it leaving the house. And when I say leaving the house, I'm talking about ending up in his closet. I got, man, look, I got a whole lot, I, I got a whole closet out for the, at my brother's house. I go to my brother's house in Houston, I'm like, I know I left some shoes here. I left some shirts here. And I'm looking all over. And then he's like, oh, what you looking for, son? And I'm like, I'm looking for this shirt and these shoes and pants. Oh, yeah. Um, they in Dallas. How the hell they get to Dallas? I didn't bring. So he already texted me. Sitting here eyeing the shoes. See, so now I'm going to put these shoes on the lock and key. Next time he come visit me, uh, cause I already know he, he, he planning his outfits right now cause he's 75 next month, April 25th. Lord, see how it is? Rough for a brother. Rough for a brother. <laughs> Rough for a brother. All right. All right, folks have been asking on YouTube. They've been saying, what's the website? Uh, go ahead. Rockdeep.com. You can see it uh, right here. R-O-C. Here you go. Here, there you go. 
you go right there. Can't fail is on my hat, all that good stuff. And like I said, for all your watchers, supporters, and listeners, um, you can download our app on either the place uh, you have a great experience. If you're on a desktop, go to the website. If you got a mobile phone, use our app uh, for either Play Store. It's a great experience. We're always trying to increase the, uh, the customer experience um, and keep our growth going. I just let people know, and, and if I could just say this, if we supported our own, right. 1%, if 1% of us supported our own, we would, we would control more than we were, that we complain about not controlling. Oh, I agree. Oh, I agree. And, well, that's one of the reasons why uh, we have this segment uh, because uh, there are a lot of black-owned businesses people have no idea even exist, uh, and we feature them uh, every single Tuesday. Uh, and, and we've had folks, I mean, it was a sister, she had, a out, she had a liquor company, and then when COVID hit, they transitioned to making this hand sanitizer, uh, and when she came on, she said, man, we sold out of stuff. Uh, we, we sold headphones, shoes, because people, and that's one thing people appreciate, uh, because if you look at the rest of these shows out here, that's why I love when I see these people talk about, oh, follow these people over here. They, they talking about black news. Well, no, they ain't, they ain't, they talking. But they not actually covering what's out here. And you're right, when we talk black economics, uh, the reality is, like, like that green screen I got over there, that was a black Drake company uh, that, that actually uh, did that. The set, that was a black company that built that set. It's a black lighting company uh, as well. And so the capacity is there. Unfortunately, a lot of people simply don't know that our companies exist. And what I keep saying to our people, we have to be intentional with our spending. We, can, we, we, we love people saying what we should be doing and what we ought to be doing versus actually what we are doing. So that's why the Marketplace segment every Tuesday, Black-owned businesses, Wednesday, Black businesses that are in tech, and people like, man, I never even knew these companies existed. And if I could say this, uh, uh, Roland, that, um, we're not just a footwear company. For me, you know, sneakers are easy. That's just, I'm riding off into the sunset doing that because it doesn't feel like work. But for us, we're taking this money and we're actually putting it back. And not just saying that we're putting it back into our community. We're actually going to be building apparel companies and eventually footwear companies in America in underserved communities so that we don't have to complain about others in the man for not providing us jobs or doing things for us. Let's provide for each other and do for each other. And that way we don't have to worry about, you know, because someone will share everything about the slap all day long, but they won't share something about Rock Deep or their friend who just started the business. And oh, yeah. we just took a slight, a, a small portion of that energy and put it back into our own folks things will be much different than they are. Oh, absolutely. That's why uh, it, it's a whole lot of those trolls and haters. It's amazing how quiet they've been in the last 24 hours uh, after uh, I brought that HBCU student on from North Carolina A&T last night uh, who had a paid internship at Black News Channel. Uh, and then I surprised her by, by giving her a paid internship uh, for us here at the Black Star Network. It's amazing how they ain't saying nothing about that. Uh, and, and in fact, um, let me also say this here. Uh, after that, I sent that text to uh, a well-known uh, person uh, who is in entertainment, uh, and uh, this person is going to fund the other three internships of those HBCU students. And so I'm trying to get their names as we speak uh, from the folks at Black News Channel. But again, and, and in fact, when I was texting this individual, uh, I said... Uh, you only can do that when you own. Yes. And to your point, if those out there who have, because everybody's not going to get into tech, everybody's not going to get into, you know, nursing or something. But those of you who don't understand that you can be everything you want, not just anything you want. I tell my kids that all the time. 
If you want to be mentored and you want to email us at staff at rockteam.com and set up a Zoom meeting and just find out the ways, because we're always trying to keep stuff to ourselves. Um, I'll shout out every other black footwear company in the, in, in the world. Why? Because we can all eat. The table is big enough for all of us. There so you we're go. all trying to hold on to our own thing. If I feel like I can't mention Sia Collective or, or Kai or, or whatever, that means I'm insecure about what I'm being able to provide. And I ain't worried about everybody else. I'm just trying to put as many people on the spot. Well, uh, the phrase that you just used is the one uh, that I use all the time to my brothers and sisters who are in black-owned media. It's enough for all of us to eat. It's enough. Because can't. here's the deal. Disney can't eat all of the advertising money. Comcast can't. It's enough for us to eat, but if we're willing to also fight for it. Now, when you say it, it's a 50% discount, is there a code they have to use? If they go right now to the Rock Deep Global IG page, there's a rolling. Uh, I'm not going to say it all because I wanted to go, you know, like, you know, let's, let's get all your followers to follow us too because I want all my followers to follow you. But uh, if they go there, they'll see three different discount codes that they can use on three different collections. And, you know, they'll have a site-wide uh, discount that I also gave, gave out as well. All right, now we'll do do that. Well, I see, I see your, I see your forty-two thousand followers. So I see that that was cute how you tried that. It was like, yeah, we're gonna see why all your people come over here. You know, in full wheel, I got six hundred forty-four thousand. I see you. I see what you tried to do right there. See, y'all think a brother fifty-three is slow? No, I ain't slow. I ain't slow. <laughs> I appreciate it. Again, congratulations. Uh, and again, I, I, I need everybody to understand. Y'all know I don't front. I don't lie. If these shoes would not be comfortable, I would not be saying they comfortable. That's why I pulled them on and I put them on and pulled them on and pulled them off uh, live on the air. Because when I put them on today, this before I came to the show the first time, I was like, damn, these, these went on real smooth. Uh, and so I, I wanted to show y'all that. Uh, and so, and, and, and yes, they look great. Uh, and of course, the colors are most important. And so, sorry, Demario. I know he already got off, but you know he gonna have to suck it up. No purple and gold. So yeah, I'm gonna have to go, I'm gonna have to go get the other black and gold because my dad is already tripping. And Tom, he gonna go text me saying I'll get a locksmith for your stuff. No, uh, he gonna have to stay in Dallas trying to take my stuff. I appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, and again, folks, go to the Rock Deep Global uh, Instagram page, and you'll actually see. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the code right there for y'all to get that 50% off uh, of the shoes. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Appreciate you. Alright then. And check that DM next time. <laughs> y'all, he gonna say, wrong with me. He gonna, he gonna try to go, man, we hit you up. You ain't respond. Then he went, oh, damn, I did. So my bad. I see you did respond. Uh, yeah, we kind of missed that. <laughs> Simone, I'm, I'm putting it on her, but it was on me. I, I take it on the chin. All right. It's, all right. Appreciate it. Take care. Appreciate you. All right, then, folks. Uh, uh, that is uh, that is uh, it for us. Uh, Mustafa, uh, Teresa, Demario, I appreciate it. I think y'all always hanging out with us. And Teresa, don't be trying to see this slide no shade in there talking about uh, I'm like your daddy. First of all, how old is your daddy? I, see, if I answer that... Teresa, how old is your daddy? He'll be turning 80. How the hell you gonna put me and your daddy in the same damn category? My daddy turns 75 next month. You know, um... You done lost your damn mind. I'm sitting here thinking, Teresa, girl, ooh, Teresa, just go ahead and click, just, just click off. Just go ahead, just go ahead and click off. Y'all, if y'all don't see Teresa for a few weeks on the show, y'all know she in the Rolling Mart Unfiltered Doghouse. 
done lost her damn mind. Her daddy 80. Her eight, Mustafa, what the hell was she? Mustafa, really? What is wrong with Teresa? I know Teresa gone. I'm going to call her when I get in the car. Lost her mind. I beat that her head. Man, y'all, look. I don't think I cuss one. If I cuss one time today, I think I cussed one time. Yeah, I did cuss. Well, I was in context when I, the N-word and coon, that, but I ain't really cuss. Teresa about to make me cuss. Go put me in the same category. Her daddy 80 years old. Her daddy older than my daddy. Yo, my daddy's 74. He gonna be 75 on April 25th. The hell is wrong with her? I... Hey, you two, y'all tripping. We got 937 likes, 63 short of 1,000. Can y'all hurry up? Okay, I'm about to sit and tell people how to give. Y'all better hit 1,000 likes before we, lo before we log off, okay? It's been 2,000 of y'all on here. Why y'all got a brother begging for some damn likes, okay? Listen, y'all want to support us, Mustafa, thanks a bunch. Download the Black Star Network app, y'all. Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Y'all, I was on the phone today. Uh, we are preparing, uh, and this is why giving is important. We are preparing our 24-hour streaming channel. I'm working on it as we speak. I hope to have it launched no later than the third quarter of this year. And so y'all, uh, if y'all want to support us, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give goes to support this show, what we're building, what we're doing. Some amazing stuff. If you do not want to give via these platforms, it's okay. You can send your check and your money order. Yes, I will sit here and open that envelope. Uh, take a picture that, that sign the back of it, take a picture of it and deposit. It's a whole lot of work, but every dollar counts. P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Y'all, uh, that's it. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, I will see y'all tomorrow right here on Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Teresa Town by just eight. She know her daddy can't get up this hot. She know her daddy can't hot like an alpha can. And Demario, you know your knees so bad, you can't even do that spin. You know you can't do it. Demario hit that step, he'll sit here and lose his mind. He'll blow his ankle and knee out. All right, y'all, I'm out. Holla!